Today, I think technology is moving faster than ever before. We have all kinds of really cool things going on. Augmented reality. We got this whole meta universe going on. We got robots driving trucks and cars. We have just EVs. There's, there's, there's so much new stuff coming on board here. And I think it's always good to have kind of one eye on the future, see what's coming down the pipeline and finding out where the areas of opportunity are. So in this episode, we're going to talk a lot about this new augmented virtual reality world. Where is it at today? Where are the benefits? How does it impact my business? How does it impact your business? So we all have this utopia and these ideas of uh, diesel technicians with glasses on, and then they're able to see things like virtually there and pull up repair information and do stuff. or in a 3D environment, learn how to do diesel technician training. So a lot of cool things we're going to talk about in this episode. I think you're going to enjoy it. So sit back and let us know what you think about it. So extended reality, virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, a lot of realities, and then there's real reality. And I'm I'm always confused on what these things are. And I hear these words and I've seen some tech in like the commercial truck space and the equipment space. So I've always been like, man, I need to learn more about this. Yep. And then I happen to find Kyle, who I've who I've known here for about about, about a month now, yeah. apparently. Uh, we both live in the same town. So Kyle, like maybe can you break down for people and this is your world like you've, you've yeah. been involved in this stuff a little bit so that's right can you kind of break down a little bit like what these are and like explain it a little bit more for the audience yeah there's there's a lot of different paths to go down there's a lot to bite off there and you forgot one metaverse right oh, the metaverse. biggest term out there that everyone is using in a lot of different ways and so breaking down augmented reality is really just augmenting my reality and so it could be with glasses where i you know see a figure see an object inside of my reality and one of the most common use cases is shopping and e-commerce if you're buying a big couch online you need to you know make sure it fits make sure it's the right size so you can experience it without going to a store so what you're doing is you're bringing a 3d object into my, a, a digital object into my physical reality so a lot of different use cases. If you go uh, one step further into mixed reality, this is where I start overlaying that digital object into a, a physical object, meaning where I can, if I'm on an assembly line, the augmented reality now becoming mixed reality is helping me perform my job better through visual verification. And so if I look at an engine that's partly assembled, I can use this mixed reality tool to look at the engine and know what components need um, added next. Or if I have instructions in my glasses augmenting my reality, I can you know lift, lift, raise my right hand and look at what, um, what I need to do next. And then we start integrating IoT sensors into the reality, which I know is a whole different concept, but then you start getting validation right in your, right in your reality in a digital sense. And so then I can look at, okay, the PSI is a certain, it's torqued down to a certain uh, rating. I can now move on. I get this big green flash and it, it, it signals for me to go on versus having to know that every you know torque needs to be set at this uh, specification. All right. So let's talk about augmented reality for a second. Okay. So I, I think this is augmented reality. Like I go to the trade shows or a lot of these conventions. I even had some of these vendors show up here and they have like the wearable hardware. Mm -hmm. And then I'll put them on and then like, boom, there's a big semi truck right in front of me yeah. or an engine. That's augmented reality, I'm assuming. So if you're putting the headset on where your view is uh, obscured, you're in virtual reality, meaning okay. the whole world around you is virtual. Now, obviously the Oculus and some of the other headsets now I've passed through vision so I can begin to see a little bit of my surrounding area. Yeah, yeah. But when you put the whole headset on and you're transported into a virtual world, that's that's your virtual, that's virtual. reality. Okay, yeah. These, yep. these ones I could see like the conference floor still, except okay. there's like a truck floating in front of me yep. and the whole thing. Now, 
it appears to me there's like a couple pieces to this. There's the hardware piece. That's right. Right? And then there's the software piece to do whatever you're going to do with the goggles that are on. Mm-hmm. And then it seems like there's almost a third piece, which is the like the content side of it. So That's right. I know some of the guys that come to visit us, they're like, cool, put the headset on it. Put the mm-hmm. headset on. Cool. I see my surrounding my conference room, and there's a semi-truck there. And they're like, we, we need help developing the content That's to right. actually do something with this truck now. That's and right. that seemed like the, the kind of the sticky point with the existing VR augmented reality companies that were there. Is that is that one of the, the, the barriers it's, to this whole thing? It absolutely is. And so, you know, if, if you if you're a manufacturer of parts, you obviously have a CAD file of some sorts, but it's probably 500 megabytes. It's extremely high resolution and it can't be supported on some of these smaller devices, smaller hardware. And so, you know, every customer I talk to says, you know, okay, we have 10,000 SKUs. How are we going to tackle augmented reality? Or, you know, other customers have hundreds of thousands of SKUs. They want to start going down the direction, but absolutely, they have too many CAD files that are not optimized for augmented reality. So what you're starting to see are a lot of companies and a lot of businesses that focus around converting high resolution, you know, high fidelity CAD files into lightweight. Um, And so this is where I've spent a lot of my time in is, is helping you know navigate that that bridge from a high fidelity CAD model to low, and you're certainly starting to see a lot of different programs and companies out there that can do it automatically. But there's there's a trade-off in quality. So the more you automate, the less quality you have, and we're starting to see that curve shift a little bit. But it's certainly a hurdle in getting a lot of lot of SKUs um, transferred and augmented reality. So you mentioned like the furniture example, mm-hmm. like in someone's house, right? Right. So I can get that, right? Like, hey, I got my living room. I want to see how this thing's gonna fit in here without busting the tape measure and marking things off, That's like, right. which is probably the way I would do it. But is is that like a today thing that exists today, and companies are doing that, or is this a future Absolutely. thing, or is it like a an, uh, are we at the very beginnings of this thing? You know, it's it's been adopted, you know, probably six to eight years ago, you start to see some mainstream adoption by some of the more innovative brands. You have Wayfair, you have Overstock, you have uh, different furniture companies who are trying to build a massive dot-com brand. And whenever you're trying to sell online and you're taking away that option to go shop in store, and when you're shopping in store, what are you doing? You're sitting on it, you're measuring it, you're looking at it. Yeah. You know, you really have to accomplish certain data points as a customer to get across that purchasing decision. And so what augmented reality does is it skips the whole need to go into a retail store to sit on it to touch it. And what I say is you can digitally touch, digitally feel it by by addressing those same data points in an augmented reality experience. Yeah. So you mentioned a couple of years ago, right? Six, mm-hmm. seven years ago. And it's funny because before this, I was like Googling and doing some research. And a lot of the articles I found, I think I found one all the way back to like 2017, but mm-hmm. there were some 19s and 20s in there, which doesn't sound like that long ago, but I guess it's four or five years at this yeah. point. And... You know, they're saying they're investing money, they're doing these things. And I'm, I'm still trying to, like, the problem I still come down to is, I at least in my world of heavy truck and equipment, I mm-hmm. haven't seen a lot of it, like, actually, like, I don't know, monetized or used yeah. in, in the sales process or the service repair process. Yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, I'd say right now the the adoption is really around uh, e-commerce, online shopping. What we're starting to see is a lot of marketing activations. And so we work with influencer brands. We work with big brands uh, at a global scale, even even in the video game world, helping launch video games. We did a big campaign with a company called Deep Silver and GameStop where we, we you know, brought the game to life in a way where you could interact with it, created user-generated content. And it was all for the purpose of driving people into a retail store. So we're starting to see more use cases hit hit 
uh, and land with different audiences, specifically around uh, market launches, marketing activations. I know there's a lot of really big, cool ones coming up. Uh, obviously, Nike did a virtual store where you could actually shop in augmented reality. There were products in the store per se, but they were virtual. But you walked into a booth like you're in a retail store. And so lots of uh, involvement over the years. I can tell you, you know, 10 years ago when I first got into software, specifically around 3D configurators and augmented reality, we, you, augmented reality is a nice to have. And unfortunately, in a lot of these use cases, it's, it's still nice. Um, until we start getting into the mixed reality where I'm putting on you know, Google Glasses or some other device uh, that I can wear and augment my, my field of vision. Again, going back to operator training, onboarding, uh, but from a day-to-day, -day, you know, specifically in your world, it, it's, I don't know if the technology is there enough to actually help. It, it might slow down, it might be considered a nice to have uh, until AI comes into the mix. And then when AI can actually start curating the content on demand based upon what I'm facing, I, I think it's going to be hard because you're going to have to curate every possible example. You're going to have to create the content. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to hook it all up somewhere in a software, create the logic. Uh, and so it is a massive hurdle. And a lot of times people fail when you're trying to evaluate the build versus buy or the, the business case around it. Yeah, so you mentioned the hardware a little bit. Mm -hmm. So like I think a lot of the audience is familiar with the Quest goggles from Meta, yeah. Facebook. Uh, we got the Halo from Amazon, uh, from okay. Microsoft. I'm, I'm guessing there's other people that have different wearables as well. Are they all kind of created equal, or is there is there, a, is there a ton of these guys out there? How... I would say there's not enough out there. Okay. Um, and so everyone has their you know, different hardware, different capabilities, different compute power, different chips, uh, different integrations. Right. When you start going down the road of Apple, it's going to be a you know omni-channel experience where whether I pull up my phone, my watch, my tablet, MacBook. You know, glass, it's all going to be an extension of one another. And so it's really going to be built for the consumer. Um, you know, other types, you know, the, the Facebook Quest or the Meta Quest is, is really built for VR. And, you know, it's not just VR games. It's not going in there and, you know, slashing fruit or whatever, you know, my kids like to do on it. But, you know, they're starting to have, you know, um, experiences, YouTube videos, shopping all in a virtual reality setting. So then, you know, it's, it's all about ease of access. Um, so they're trying to create a more pleasurable shopping and engagement experience that you know you can easily tap into a virtual world. You can usually jump into a game. You can shop. You can do everything in a virtual setting, which you know for some people it's better than the real world they live in. Yeah. So I know it seemed like this whole you know augmented VR stuff was mm -hmm. was getting a lot of momentum, a lot of talk. Obviously, Facebook renamed their entire company to sure. Meta. Um, and then everyone was talking about it, and then kind of like ChatGPT and AI came along, it feels like the last six or nine yeah. months, and, yeah. and no one's talking about that stuff anymore, they're talking about the new thing. Is, are, are you seeing people shifting their mindset and investment money and where they're spending the resources of these companies, or is it still both? It's almost sound like they combine at some point, the way you were kind of talking I, there a little bit. I think they will combine uh, at some point, because AI is going to solve a lot of adoption problems and the content creation problem for augmented reality. Now, the metaverse is not going away, right? There's every technology has a hype cycle. We, you know, we, we hit the hype. We went through the, through the, the, the trial. Um, and now you're starting to see real use cases, right? The, the shopping and using augmented reality for e-commerce is here to stay. Right? I think once people start using it and they understand the value it adds, it's hard to go to a shopping experience that doesn't have it. And that's what I've been talking to a lot of my customers about. Even Amazon right now has an augmented reality experience where I can try it in my space. And Because you, you know what it does is it decreases returns, it increases customer satisfaction because they're more confident in what they're buying. 
Um, it keeps people engaged on a landing page. So from a marketing perspective, if I have a certain dollar amount that's associated with time spent on page, I can start increasing that by creating that engaging experience. And so then kind of go to the other end of it, the metaverse, you know, absolutely. All right, people are spending more and more time online. You know, Gen Z, which everyone's trying to go after right now, uh, you know, they're online and they're engaging with each other. And so how can we create that experience that the next generation is going to expect when it comes to socializing, shopping, and engaging with one another? So I know you have a little bit of experience kind of in our space at, at Heister Yale. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, you've obviously been around understand this technology. Where do you see it having the first or the biggest impact in our industry? Is it is it the training side? Is it helping people repair things, diagnose things? Yeah. Like where do you where do you see it really having the positive impact? Yeah, you 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 hit it right. So so one there's obviously marketing which is already picking up on it, right? We were you know we were talking about doing big uh, augmented reality uh, booths at trade shows so we can help articulate the technology. Uh, behind the equipment, specifically the robotics, the forklifts, the attachments, right? So you can't bring every attachment to a trade show booth, but what we can do is augment it. So then you can still see all the options, how they work. But from a day-to-day, it, it absolutely is training. You know, I think it's about seven or eight years ago, we were looking at, you know, how can we bring mixed reality into the assembly line? Um, and we, you know, had a use case, had, has a, had a business plan, but the savings just wasn't there yet because you, know, you can't take an operator out of the line to uh, to go recharge a battery or swap out a pack because you know with all that compute power in a small device it would only last a couple hours. And then you start getting into tethered devices. And now safety gets involved. OSHA gets involved because there's a wire that's hanging down from somebody's belt, and so it just wasn't there yet. And so it, it really struggled to adopt. I think we're getting to a place now where the hardware is catching up with the needs of the consumer and the use cases, where you're going to start to see more robust training. Obviously, uh, you know, JL has their own metaverse for diesel training. Uh, it looks a little Robloxy. I don't think a lot of people in this space would, would enjoy picking it up, but that's the, that's the thing that we need to solve is what is that experience that's gonna add value uh, or utility to that, to that experience or that technician? Yeah, I think it's difficult for me because I go to these trade shows and I see, um, you know, again, I see the expos, I see the, I see the, the booths, I see them showing them what they're wearing the glasses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my core customers that small independent shop guy, the mold maintenance yeah. kind of side of the road, I'm like, okay, those guys are never going to do it. So who, right. who is? But it always seems like the big fleets are, the Walmarts, the FedExes, mm-hmm. these big guys, because they have thousands and thousands of technicians, tens of thousands of pieces of equipment, probably the same model trailers and trucks and engines, so they can build out their own content to do it. So I, huh. I can see where it's going to make sense in some areas. Uh, what about automotive? Like usually we always joke that, hey, you want to know where trucks are going to be in 10 or 15, 20 years? Just look at automotive because we're, we're constantly okay. behind. Have you seen much on the automotive side, like on the showroom side at all or on the repair side or the marketing side? You, you know, not much adoption there. Um, you know, there are some use cases that are coming out, such as removing blind spot for the driver. And so as, as you're driving down the road, obviously you have blind spots. Um, you, you know, that's one use case. The next is inserting diagnostics into the the device. And so if I'm driving down the road, check engine light comes on, I can tap my device. Again, this is all assuming it's comfortable to wear because right now they're not. But assuming it's comfortable to wear, then I could integrate all my information right into my glasses. And so whether I'm the driver operator of a car or a technician, I can put these on and then start exploring the car, you know, kind of like uh, Iron Man, Tony Stark, right in his lab, as he starts touching it, being able to pull information out of a car that can be visualized. 
because you interpret visualized information much faster than you do having to read it. So if you're reading diagnostic information, description, recommendations, you're going to absorb it better if you just get an arrow that points to this blinking red dot that shows me where I need to look or what I need to remove. Yeah. So those are going to be things that help the operator perform more. Um, I think those will start to adopt over the next few years as the hardware begins to get in place. And then again, you know, solving that content problem. What did you do at Heister Yale? Like, what were they doing with yeah. the diagnostic side? Yeah, so, you know, so I, I specifically ran the telemetry business. And so it was, you know, we'd put a card reader on the trucks. We It was all about safety. And so we wanted to, one, get data off the vehicles itself so we could provide a better customer experience, but also to provide safety for the operator. So we wanted them to perform, we wanted to digitize the uh, initial pre-inspection checklist. We wanted to make sure the operators were in their seatbelt. And then we also wanted to make sure that if there was uh, an incident, an impact on the forklift, they ran into a rack, ran into something, somebody else, that we could record it. And so that was kind of the basis of when we came in. And then we started down the journey of how do we provide an omni-channel customer experience? What can we do with all of this data, not just in telemetry, but fleet and warranty and aftermarket and sales to really provide not only a customer 360, but support the dealers and the dealer networks for having a better customer experience. Because you know part of the problem is parts, right? Yeah. Getting parts to the right place at the right time uh, was a struggle. And so we looked at how can you predict part failure on a truck for several reasons. One is for SLAs, obviously, we, you know, if you have fleet and yeah. SLA guarantees, you got to keep the fleet up. But what we wanted to do was make sure that um, if we're ordering a part that takes has a six-month lead time, it's coming from overseas, that we can order it three months in advance. And so we just cut our, our lead time in half by being able to predict based upon what combination of DTCs was going to result in a part failure. And so we started down this whole you know digital transformation journey, uh, really specific about in, enhancing the customer experience. And so that was just one. Uh, and then we set up a whole command center down in uh, Tyler, Texas, where we are monitoring fleets around the world. And so if your big truck had a pneumatic tire, the air pressure is low, guess what? You're, you're probably wasting a lot of money on extra gas. And so what we wanted to do is call the dealer so the dealer could call the customer yeah. and, and tell them that, or send somebody out there to air up the tire to save them real money. So it was really, it, we started at, what are the problems the customers have in the field? And then we backtracked. How can we support the dealers provide a better experience? How can how can the OEM provide a better experience for dealers? Yeah, so very similar thing that we're seeing with other companies and other um, both manufacturers, dealers, and uh, startup companies essentially. Yeah. So there's a there's a one that we got to know pretty well. There's two actually, uh, pit stop and uptake. Okay. So. They're basically grabbing data off all these electronic logging devices that are attached to the trucks mm -hmm. and doing predictive or attempting to predictive. Yeah. So you run into you start running into some problems um, because from the customer side, they just want one place to go to no matter what they got, right? Yep. It's a pain for them if they have to talk through eight or 10 different platforms or every piece of machinery they have. So it comes down, a lot of it comes down to data uh, the quality of the data that That's you're right. getting off the vehicle. So unfortunately with, you know, ELDs and, and aftermarket things, they don't get, they get like the, there's like two types of data essentially on the CAN buses. There's uh, proprietary stuff that's mm -hmm. hidden. And then there's the public stuff, right? And of course, all the proprietary stuff is what everybody wants what access to, yep. to get all the good data because the algorithms are only as good as the data that you get them. And that's one of the things we've been doing here at Diesel Laptops. Like, okay, we need to, we saw all these different tools before you showed up, I mm -hmm. kind of walked you around. Yep. I was like, oh, here's a couple different tools. And then we had the epiphany one day, like, man, no matter what tool a customer uses and no matter what year make model they connect to, we need to get all that data back in a standardized way mm -hmm. and display it to the user. 
And it's not a it's not an easy accomplishment as, 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 as we got into it, right? It, it, it's a difficult thing. Um, at, at least with Heister Yale, you guys kind of owned your own equipment there to to be able to, to have mm-hmm. access to all the proprietary data. But that is one of the big challenges in, when this all comes down to it is high quality data off vehicles mm-hmm. consistently. Yep. Yeah. We, uh, you know, we certainly had to go down the, that, that data road and we had kicked off a master data management effort because our dealers are all independently owned. They all use their own systems. And so when we say, you know, a DHL facility in Alpharetta, Georgia, right, it's some people are going to capitalize it. Some people aren't, it's going to be spelled different. It's going to be abbreviated. And so how do we, how do we, uh, you know, combine or aggregate all this data to tell a compelling story? And that's where I really believe AI is going to come in to help solve that problem. So all these manual data entry things and, you know, APIs into different systems and, and trying to um, aggregate data, you're already starting to see it in, in tools like HubSpot and CRMs where they're saying, hey, these two contacts might be related and then you can approve or review it. What you're going to start seeing is plugins, browser extensions and tools that will help streamline that ETL process for you. And so it'll take raw data, it'll transform it, and then put it into a readable and actionable data set. So I feel like AI kind of just made the scene, right? But it, yeah. it's, it's been around for a little bit. It's been around. Yeah. Where where are we at, like, today's world with AI? Is this, like, day one? Like Maybe a football analogy, right? We got, yeah. We're got on the one-yard line. we got 99, 99 yards to go. Like, where where are we with this AI stuff? Is I think, it I think it, it's gotten a lot of traction. And, and OpenAI, ChatGBT certainly helped with that um, mainstream adoption, right? And it's, it's put a lot of startups out of business, honestly. Um, you know, when you look at companies like Wide Combinator, who are trying to cultivate and grow young startups, 80% of them were AI companies. Yeah. And so when you start to see big, you know, companies like OpenAI and what, they're, what tools, resources, people, and money they have, they're dominating the market, but yes, um, you know, you look at uh, Linza AI. And everyone's doing profile pictures, right? So now you're not just, you know, you're not, you're not able to just have a conversation with somebody. You can actually create images and content, and it's going beyond that. I don't know if you saw around the internet. There's a Coca-Cola commercial that's entirely created by AI. Yeah. A full commercial. It looks like you're back in the '90s, but it's a little creepy because AI has a little trouble with fingers and, and I mouth. I saw that in Mid Journey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that one's a little bit weird, but what you're starting to see is that evolution of real-world use cases um, being solved with AI. You know, even you know, talking with my marketing team, where how can we, you know, start doing blog posts, blog posts and content using AI versus sitting down and paying people to actually write it out, um, because it can formulate. Uh, reports, it can summarize data, it can scour more sources than we can, and it can even provide you the sources it got it with. And so, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is how is AI going to transform your industry? Or what have you thought about, you know, AI and content creation and, yeah, and all these it, new techs? I mean, I, I think it can really help. So yeah. part of the struggle that we have and our users have is we got to be really specific when we're looking things up, right? right? So we can't just put a prompt in like, why do I have white smoke coming out of my 1999 yeah. Peterbilt with a cat engine? Like I can't, I, you, you can't do that. You gotta be like, well, I gotta go to symptom-based troubleshooting, pick my ear make model and then select white smoke. Okay. And now I can do it. So I think AI being able to have like that natural search, uh, the ability mm-hmm. to just ask it questions and have it give you answers based on the data sets that we have will be super beneficial. Um, a lot of this too comes down to like, you're talking about multiple fault codes. Yep. Like we never have usually rarely one code go off. It's usually multiple fault codes. Yep. And we all know there's a common denominator in there. <laughs> and we've played with some tools and we had a third party company actually do some stuff for us. Um, and again, it came down to our data set. Like yeah. sometimes we'd ask positive questions. Sometimes we'd ask negative questions. 
right? Is your coolant cold? Is it yeah. below this temperature or above? Or like, it, it, we weren't consistent how our repair information was. Okay. So they're too had a hard time ingesting that to be like, well, now you're asking if it's this way instead of that way. So it was a lot of those problems we ran into. Um, and we got it working like 90% where you could yeah. put multiple codes in and it'd be like, well, based off those three codes, here's the number one thing. But now seeing like what you can do with these AI things is is unbelievable. And I'd even say go back to like the AI, like the uh, mid journeys when I've been playing with more than anything okay. for photo generation. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. crazy. Be like, show me an office party from the 1970s <laughs> with, yeah. you know, dancing monkeys and guys in business suits and boom. And it looks just like a 1970s photograph from that era mm -hmm. with the reality of it. Um, I knew the new version, the finger thing they figured out, yeah. but then there's other weird things that happen right. once in a while. But it, it is it is really amazing. Um, and that's one of the things we, I just talked to the marketing department. I was like, man, we need to we need to actually grab some of the, because you can actually upload your images and your products and then be like, okay, now show my product in yeah. Saudi Arabia on an excavator. And they're like, boom, here it is. So I, I think it's really gonna be interesting to see how marketing picks up on on all these things. That's and right. the video stuff is unreal too, the deep fakes. And yes. uh, it, yeah. it, it looks legit like, you know, Dwayne Johnson talking and doing a thing. And he's like, that was not me yeah, at all. Had nothing to do with me, right? So it, it's, it's the world's changing really, really quick. So let me ask you. So one of the, one of the use cases I was really, you know, picking up on, I didn't really apply it to this industry until we're talking, but you know, what about customizing the training or the instructions to a tech who's performing a specific function you know, everyone learns a little differently. Some people like to read, some people like to watch videos, how you instruct people. AI can adapt to a specific person and deliver content, deliver instructions specialized to you and in real time. Like, do how do you feel about that? Do you think that would... Well, it'd be better than today. So <laughs> today's reality is, is most shops that have technicians, you know, they're never actually like tested by anybody. It's just the guy that's around the shop kind of knows who's good on what, okay. or he thinks he knows. And it's amazing. There was a company that we worked with called Today's Class, and they came out with this like, like micro learning tool, right? Okay. It's like, you know, five questions a day or whatever. And, you know, seeing how poorly people scored on some areas that you think they think they know, like safety was one of their lowest ranking <laughs> test result areas, right? Yeah. But it, it's one of those things, especially in the, the smaller shops, there's not a lot of thought put into who can actually do what, what are their weaknesses, what are they good at, what job should I put them on that's best? Mm -hmm. I mean, I run a 30 bay shop and we had hundreds and hundreds of trucks we'd work on every single month. And we have a service writer who's just trying to use their best judgment to figure out who's due for work next, okay. who can work on it, should I wait? Like they're just trying to do their best mind power processing wise. Okay. And you'd sit there and be like, man, there's gotta be a better way. <laughs> like there, there's no way one person here is optimizing the, the workload in this shop. People optimization. Technology needs to. Yeah, yeah. In the in the warehousing space, you know, we'd always work with labor management systems. And so how many picks per hour are you doing and how where should you be at? And so, you know, the ability to quote unquote do a digital twin of a technician and then be able to address are they a top performer, are they underperforming, and then recommend where they're underperforming to optimize their overall output. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I, I love this subject. Like we didn't even get to blockchain. We only like lightly <laughs> touched on some of these subjects yeah. and everything. Um, so I think I'm going to get you back here for like another episode so we, to, get, yeah. we can we can dive into a lot more of this. Um, if I guess I'm going to ask you two questions here. Okay. One, this is all kind of newer stuff, right? Mm -hmm. If people are just like don't know anything about it and just want to start learning about some of this stuff, is there particular websites, forums, groups? Is it just start Googling and reading up on it? Where do they like where do you 
Where do you even begin? Yeah, you know, there is a lot to bite off. I'd recommend, you know, go to ChatGBT and have a conversation. Ask it yeah. where you should begin. Oh, right. No, kind of joking. But, uh, yeah, do, do research, right? There's a lot of YouTube videos out there. There's a lot of companies out there that are doing it. Um, do your own research. Read up on it. Um, you know, make your own ass assessment of the technology. You know, I think that's great. I'm, I'm going to do that after this. I'm going to go ask just ChatGPT, like, hey, where do I start to learn more sure. about AI? Just see what it says. So it'll be it'll be interesting. Uh, Kyle, people want to get a hold of you at all. I know you're doing consulting stuff out there. Yeah. You're you're current with someone else. You got ideas for more business things. Like people want to connect with you. Where's the best place to do that? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, my handle is the LinkedIn URL. Then Kyle.Cooper or KyleCooper03 or Kyle at Starfishing.xyz. You know, I never even heard of starfishing.xyz. And my executive assistant's like, have you ever heard of an XYZ domain? I'm like, I haven't. You're going to start like seeing time. a lot of them. Yeah, you're going to start seeing a lot of them in the Web3 space. So as people start building, uh, you know, decentralized apps and cryptocurrencies, you're going to see a lot of XYZ. Cool. Well, I got to go buy a diesel laptop's XYZ uh, <laughs> domain, it sounds like. So Kyle, thank you very much for coming on. Yep. We're going to call this an episode. Remember, it's not just diagnostics. It's diagnostics done right. And I know the future is all the things we talked about here. AI, we didn't get into blockchain. That's part of the equation. <laughs> Uh, we got virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, meta, like a whole bunch of great, cool technologies. We all have a front row seat on it. Chance to really learn. I think a lot of opportunity is going to open up for entrepreneurs and businesses to be more successful as they adopt this technology. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Like, comment, share, subscribe. We appreciate it.